Hello and welcome to another edition of the Decibel Digital Podcast. I'm joined today, uh, a welcome return for Pierre Croft. Thanks, Phil. Great to be here. Good to have you back. And a new addition to the team, Sarah Hornsey. Hi, Phil. Hi, Pierre. Good to see you, Sarah. Uh, make sure you talk into the mic, Sarah. We want to be able to hear your voice. Oh, sorry. Is this better? That's very good. Very good. So um, we're going to do something a bit different this week. Um, normally, uh, every week in the podcast, we would just take a selection of stories from the world of digital and kind of put our unique uh, spin on them, uh, examine them and have a look at what's going on. Uh, this week, we thought we'd go a bit deeper and share some of our expertise, which is exciting. Mm. It's always good to, uh, to get the knowledge out there. Definitely. So we're going to talk about um, a recent blog post that we wrote uh, on the Decibel Insight blog, uh, which is about uh, great ways to screw up your conversion rate. That's right. There's 16 different ways you can do that. There's probably more, but these are the top 16. Our 16 favorites, as it were. So what we thought we'd do is, as soon as I have two uh, conversion rate geniuses in, in my presence today, we would examine some of their favorite ways to screw up your website's conversion rate and maybe pass on some of their advice about uh, how you can avoid falling into those traps. I wouldn't call myself a genius, but Sorry, I'm too try humble. My best. Just <laughs> far too humble. Um, so uh, let's go for it. Take it from the top. Uh, number one on the list, guys. What, uh, what do you think? What should we go for? Number one we'd like to discuss is the unresponsive sites. Unresponsive websites. So Sarah, why don't you tell us um, for the kind of less initiated um, what is a responsive website in the first place? Um, so a responsive site is one that uh, responds to different mul- multiple devices, whether it's your mobile or tablet. So responds how? So the, li- the layout adapts uh, to the device that you're, you're looking on. So what we're talking about is where you're looking at a desktop website, but just a miniature version on your mobile. And so you have to kind of zoom in or kind of, um, really hunt around for the content that you're looking for because it's not immediately visible on a mobile. Yeah, if, if it's not responsive, yeah. So why is that Why is that bad? Well, for a poor user experience, um, someone's going to get frustrated if they can't find what they're looking for um, or indeed achieve what they're set out to do. So if it's a, um, trying to buy something and they A, can't go through to the checkout process or they can't find, yeah, they can't find the right page then yeah they're gonna they're gonna give up yeah the other thing to say as well is um, one of the big problems of trying to use a desktop site on a mobile is that um, a lot of the links and buttons will be really small and hard to touch with a finger so there's a question of sort of accuracy and dexterity and things like that which um, so if you have fat fingers yeah or, or if you maybe like if you're a, sort of a bit older or maybe even arthritic or something there's right. some accessibility concerns there as well yeah um, so yeah, basically, um, having a responsive so- a website is is always going to be better for mobile users or other devices. So how do you go about um, making a responsive site? Like, how do you fix the problem if you don't have one? And also, how many people don't have a responsive site? Uh, it's kind of hard to say. Um, I'm sh- I'm sure there are stats out there. I don't actually have them to hand, but um, uh, the number the number of responsive sites is growing. Um, but th- there are still a lot of a lot of sites that don't have uh, responsive sites. What they used to do in the um, in the early days of the iPhone was have what's called an M dot site, mm. which is where um, the server would detect that you're viewing on a on a mobile and then uh, send a different set of information to you. 
Um, and often these sites were kind of stopgap measures. Um, so often the, um, the navigation would be completely different. The, you know, the, the stuff on the homepage would be completely different. And they didn't really offer the full functionality of the desktop site. Right. So if you, if you have a website and you don't know whether it's responsive or not, um, you can quite easily find out by just shrinking the size of the browser, right? Yeah, that's right. And if it doesn't change and it just looks like a smaller and smaller version of what you had before, then it's bad. Mm. And it's even worse now because of Google. Is that correct? Well, the Google Mobile Geddon yeah, exactly. release that happened recently. Right. So tell us about that. Um, well, they've just released an algorithm that... Um, has gives it well they give preferential search ratings to or ranking in the search uh to those sites which have a mobile version or right. a responsive version right and because more and more search is happening on mobile exactly if you're searching on mobile and your website's getting penalized then that's bad correct but whether or not i mean i read an article recently that um it might be because lots of people are using mobile so advertising um, then might be getting lost for Google so for them to keep their uh, sales revenue coming in mm, they need to the make sure money. yeah <laughs> right so if any of the listeners are uh, seeing a big drop in their search ratings recently um, that could be what could be what's could be behind the cause. it yeah yeah but mobile experience n needs to be thought out kind of from the ground up right it, you can't just kind of tack it on at the end just make everything smaller or Ideally, um, what you'd do is, yeah, you'd start from the beginning and really sort of uh, look at your traffic, where people are going on your site, uh, where people are dropping off, um, how your forms work and things like that. Mm. Um, that is the best option. Um, but if you're, you know, if, if you're short on time or money, there, there are ways of, of getting around that to, to getting something acceptable, not necessarily brilliant, but um, it's going to work. I think that's... Um why a lot of people may still not have gone responsive for because of the cost right. implications. Yeah. Right. You know, they've they've forked out quite a big investment to create have a website. Yeah. And then suddenly, well, not suddenly. I mean, it's been going mobile for a few mm, years now, and now mobile's actually taken over. Yeah. And uh, people do realise that, but it's an investment that they have to now. Yeah. Have to put forward. Hasn't mobile search just overtaken desktop or something? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone just shrugged their shoulders. I I recall reading somewhere recently that mobile mobile had overtaken desktop. I think it was in search. Just looking at an article now, according to Cisco, mobile data as a proportion of total internet traffic will more than double by 2019. So mobile's huge. It's here to stay. And if you think about it, all the devices are getting bigger as well. So mm. you don't really need to... Well, you, you have desktop for work, but everybody's leisure time or personal time, yeah. even probably on their business now, they're yeah. using their mobile phone. Um, so if, if people are kind of considering this as an investment that they don't necessarily want to make, the first thing to do is to look at your analytics and work out kind of what proportion of traffic you're actually getting that is mobile, and then working out what purpose are people looking at your website on their mobile device for, and if they are there because they want to complete a transaction or they want to investigate your business and maybe turn into a lead, if your site isn't responsive, then you're effectively just destroying that opportunity for yourself and radically affecting your conversion rate. 
That's right, yeah. Um, I mean, not, not every site's going to have a huge volume of mobile traffic. Um, you know, things like soft, certain software platforms, you know, used by businesses might not have a massive need to, to go responsive, but for other sort of sites, it's, it's a definite must. Any kind of e-commerce these days, you know, mobile e-commerce is, is, is growing at a huge rate. Um, more people are just using their phones to buy stuff. Mm. Um, so that's, that's an example where it could be really important. Great. Okay, so um, on a scale of 1 to 10 of how annoying it is when you come across this? I'd say 10. I, I would say 10 is most annoying. You find it incredibly annoying? I find it incredibly annoying. Okay, so the wrath of Sarah. I'd say 10 at least. It's at least a 10? At least. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so this is pretty much like one of the deadly sins of conversion rate optimization. You'd have to be really, really wanting what the site has to, in order to persist with a desktop version of it on a mobile yeah okay let's move on what's next too many steps to conversion including signups Pierre why don't you why don't you get us started here well there's a um, there's a bit of a statistic uh, that says that every form field that you have on your form um, conversion drops by a certain percentage um, so I can't remember the exact number but um, it's definitely out there on Google um, the more basically the more fields more fields your form has the less people are going to sign up because they can't really be bothered and also I guess people aren't wanting to give so much information like depending on obviously what they're doing why they're doing it mm. if you're asking all these questions and people will be like well, why do you want to know this that's exactly right so it's not just length of form it's also appropriateness of the data you're asking for that's right. Um, you see that on a lot of B2B sites where they'll, you know, you'll, um, you'll download a white paper or something and they'll ask you, you know, your name and your email and your phone number, but they are, might ask you, you know, your company and your position, your job title, you know, how they heard about the company, you know, what your t-shirt size is, all these kind of things that, <laughs> that are great for the marketing initiatives of the company, but right. the user doesn't feel comfortable sharing that and so they leave. Yeah. So there's, a, there's a definitely a balance point there um, with a lot of forms, but... Generally, generally speaking, if if by removing forms and only keeping the essential ones, mm. um, you should see an increase in conversions. So more form fields equals bad. Um, it depends, but that's a good place to to start. It's a good founding principle. It's even more inexcusable these days because of something called progressive profiling. So I don't know if you've heard of this. I so if you have a a kind of a CRM or yeah, like a piece of sales software hooked up to your website. It can cookie and track a user and it will kind of remember what, what you've already learned about the user and will configure the forms that you put in front of that user to ask for new information. Right. So if you have a website where people are gonna be coming back and filling out forms more than once, you can configure progressive profiling to maybe the first time you see this person ask them where they live then the second time maybe you ask them about their interests and then if you've got that then maybe the third time they come back you ask them something else so rather than you having this giant form where you're asking for all the information your marketing team might ever want you kind of collect it slowly and, yeah. and people don't tend to mind giving you a little bit of information I suppose it probably works better for B2B websites than B2C mm. but I, I can see an application everywhere really yeah. Um, so yeah it's kind of Asking for all the data that you could ever imagine, uh, conceivably wish for, it's kind of greedy. 
when visitors aren't it is a bit like you know visitors have to feel like what they're getting from the website is um it kind of matches up with what the um with what they're willing to divulge about themselves so you know if they're just wanting to download a little um you know sign up for an email newsletter or something and they're having to fill out all this form fields are going to go well that's not worth it whereas if the data is really valuable if it's you know a 150 page ebook on the very best coffees around london or something like that if you want <laughs> coffee sounds like a hell of an ebook then uh you know people are going to you know go nuts and, and and share all their most intimate personal details for coffee for coffee yeah that's right there are people out <laughs> there that like insight into your psychology then. yeah <laughs> um I suppose also it, it needs it not just uh, that it needs to be proportionate to what's being asked for, but it also needs to be relevant. So if yeah. you're doing a personal transaction, don't ask for business information and vice versa. If somebody's doing a business transaction with you, don't ask them personal yeah. questions. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, there's something else that annoyed me, actually. Go on. Not long ago, I was looking on a, um, a college website and I wanted to uh, look at some nutrition courses and things like that. Before, before I'd even like found out much information, straight away a pop-up came along with me registering into that college and mm. wanted all my details, but I wasn't even, sh- even sure if I wanted to right. study there yet, but they straight away said, we can't go any further unless you register. So asking for, asking for too much too soon yeah. when someone is not ready to commit. Yeah. A bit like dating. Yeah. <laughs> the, da- the dating analogy is a good one. Yeah, like, it is actually. I've it heard it before. One. Yeah, yeah. I'm stealing it's, it. It's forms are like a conversation. You know, it's like if 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 you're talking to somebody and you start asking all this really personal stuff, uh, whether you're on a date or digitally representing a form. <laughs> um, in both cases, if that person thinks, if the you know, if the if the person you're asking thinks that, hang on, I'm not really comfortable sharing that. Yeah, you're coming on too strong. Then they're gonna like, they're not gonna call you back. Basically, they're no. not gonna come back. They're gonna go find someone you're, else. You're dumped, basically. Yeah, you get dumped hard. And that's that's the metaphor for your conversion rate dropping. That's right. Brilliant. A form is a conversation. I love it. I so guess that seamlessly goes into the form errors right so actually another thing that annoys Sarah (laughs) and yeah this is another one of our brilliant ways to kill your conversion rate is um, on yeah on form errors so tell us about these Sarah what what do you mean about kind of errors on forms and why do they annoy you so much well uh, so for example not long ago I was on a form filling out my details and I'd filled everything in perfectly but it just kept on not letting me submit Right. And it would constantly say, uh, it highlight in red what I've missed, but I hadn't missed it. And I kept on doing it again and again and again. And I just think it's just the lack of uh, website owners not checking, testing their forms okay. or having any software to help them check so their forms. poorly tested forms that don't actually let you submit yeah. them. And see, if they, they're not in the know, then mm. they are losing a hell of a lot of business. Right, because you consumers. can, yeah, people can just be abandoning those forms and you might not even know about it. Yeah. So um, that's bad, I agree. And there's another version of that problem, which is where um, you're, you're f- giving the visitor an error message that they've done something wrong on the form and so they can't submit it, but you're not explaining properly why or what they need to do to fix it or the information you're looking for so say you have a password field uh, and you have a set of rules about passwords like it needs to be at least six um, characters long it needs to contain a number if you don't explain that in a tool tip and just put you know invalid password 
the visitor can go around like four or five times trying to guess what you mean and and it's incredible how often this happens on people's website forms like that they don't think about that kind of thing that's right um you see you see it a lot with things like addresses and phone numbers as well um for instance in the uk uh, uh postcodes are anywhere from i think six to seven digits yeah it can, it can be longer or shorter yeah, yeah. And sometimes um, people will put a space in between their postcode. Um, and there's a thing uh, with forms called forgiving format, which is where the form allows people to enter in the data multiple different ways, you know, in, this ca in the case of a postcode, having a space or not having a space. And the, um, the back end of the website will, you know, uh, uh, sort of pass it, read it, read what they've entered and then put in the space or not if the database requires it. Um, instead of the alternative to that is saying uh, the postcode was wrong and not saying that you need a space or it doesn't yeah. need a space error yeah please insert your postcode and as Sarah was saying you know I did insert my postcode right you know and, and the website doesn't give appropriate feedback as how much patience it. do you think visitors have for receiving an error message on a form well I think patience is, is minimal mm. mine was <laughs> <laughs> right Sarah's a benchmark for all visitors <laughs> everywhere. I think people as well, you know, you'll try and try again, but there's only so many times that you're going to yeah. try it again and you will give up. I think the you limit's probably one retry, isn't it, before people probably just think this isn't worth it. I, gu I guess, it, again, it depends on, on how much they want um, whatever the form is trying to give them access to. Um, you know, some people, if it's, if it's a minor kind of need for them, they'll just go, oh, you know, stuff this, I can't be bothered. Right. But if it's crucial to their sort of daily goals for the day or whatever yeah then um they're more likely to persist but you know, everyone has a version of time we live in a world where like a, a millisecond additional loading time impacts your conversion rate by a significant amount so something as subtle as that can destroy your conversion rate so something that is visibly rejecting the visitor when they are trying to convert with like a big red cross and like forbidding them to do what they want to do it's terrible it's really bad experience for people to have i have um been quite good in the fact when there has been forms that I haven't been able to fill in i've contacted the website so um, conscientious and said look <laughs> hey you need to fix this you've got to think that most people won't be doing that for no. you though um so how do you go about avoiding this what uh, as well as forgiving form format forgiving format the best, um, the best way is just to watch people using the form. Um, so there's two ways of doing that. You can do that in person, which is, is quite easy. So if, um, if you run a website that has a lot of forms on it and one of them is really important to your conversion or your, um, your revenue even, um, you know, all you need to do is, is get a bunch of people. You know, they could be um, your friends, your family, other people in your office building. Um, and just say to them, you know, um, for example, on an e-commerce site, you could say, find a product that you like and go through the buying process and just see what they do. Just do some user testing. Yeah, exactly. Just user testing. Yeah. The other way is to look at metrics. So that's things like uh, visual analytics or, or Google Analytics, um, mm. qualitative and quantitative data on your forms. So how many people are reaching the, the page that the form's on and then how many people reach the next page. Right. You know, and there'll usually be a drop. Because by the time somebody's reached the form, you've got to think they're at the sharp end of the wedge in terms of being ready to hand over their money or their details or whatever you want. So really, you just 
you want to be focusing on your forms pretty seriously, don't e- you? Exactly. Forms, form, bad forms where a lot of um, dropped conversions happen on a website. And it's, it's like you're, you're, rig- you're kind of throwing away the best chance you have to convert at that point uh, on a practical level I, I suppose also as well as kind of doing user testing and analytics there's simple things like the way you structure the form to and and use tool tips and example data in the fields just to make it clear to the visitor like what you expect them to give you mm-hmm. uh, and also maybe even explaining why you ask for certain information so that they kind of they kind of grasp w- exactly what you need Absolutely. you know I think the more information the better mm. for every user like some people think when they're building websites that they assume that everyone knows what to do, but you shouldn't assume. You should give all data, all clear instructions, yeah. and it, it yeah help your conversion rate. Yeah, great. And when you do have to deliver an error message to your visitor, make it a really constructive and helpful one that actually helps them to fix what they've done wrong. That's right. So as well as telling them that something something wrong happened or that there was an error show them where the error was yeah. so highlight not just uh, not just say uh oh, please fill in this field but also show them where the field is so yeah it's amazing how many forms still you just yeah. see a big red bar at the top yeah that just says you know there is an error on the form yeah exactly. it's not particularly helpful and you need to think that people are time poor they want to get through these things quickly they don't yeah. want to be wasting their time constantly yeah. going over it so yeah that's a good reason for having clear information to help people just speed through these things and, and buy your things. Great. So, Sarah, does this annoy you to a level 10 ag- as well? I would say so, yeah. <laughs> just spend your life <laughs> feeling angry. <laughs> Only on poor websites. Yes. And Pierre? Uh, it's a definite 10, again, for me. This, this, for me, is the worst one of all. Right. Because your form is when somebody is there with their hand on their wallet, That's ready right. to go. If you screw that up, that's just unforgivable. I'd actually like to revise the previous <laughs> score I gave to a, to a nine because right. I agree. I think this is worse. This is much worse. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we got time for one more today. So, uh, number four, let's talk about copy, copywriting, and text generally. Um, it's a bit a bugbear of mine as a marketer. What about you guys? Why have you nominated copy? Well, um, copy is a funny one because um, you know people read differently on the web to what they do in in print um, and the main the main thing is time um, again people are, you know people will read a book because it's you know it's it's a nice kind of passive form of entertainment whereas when people are on the web they're looking for something they want to find something and they're not going to read you know all of this you see so many websites um, with just like paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of copy on it's a horrible byproduct of uh, keyword stuffing for SEO yeah I think so and it's also because um, people think that you know websites need to look full of stuff you know there needs to be lots of stuff on there people are, re- are going to be really interested in everything we have to say about this and that and it's generally not really the case unfortunately right reality is people scan information don't they 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 yeah. go onto a website, have a little scan, find out what they're looking for and go straight for that. Yeah. So your copy on your website is kind of like the signposting to help guide your user through the, the process, but it is not there to kind of bombard them with endless information that they don't necessarily want or need or have time to... Exactly. I mean, again, you know, there are always caveats to, to things like this. It does depend. For instance... Um, 
if somebody's res if somebody's ha got a family member with a you know a, a, a very bad medical condition for instance then having lots of copy about that medical condition is appropriate mm. because that family member would be you know very interested in as much information as they could as they could find so again it depends on the audience the site and, and stuff like that but as a general rule um, you see it a lot on sort of b2b sites where you know websites just have pages and pages and pages of stuff about the company and about their history and and yeah. some people are interested in that but they're not going to have want to sit through all of that to get to where they want to go yeah so there's a level of insecurity in doing that where you feel like you have to tell your whole story on every single page of your website mm -hmm. and it's just it's not it's not a good user experience you know it's 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 overkill people just get really kind of burned out by that that's right and um, it's really just about understanding what your visitors want to do on your site and putting your resources towards meeting their needs rather than the business's needs so having a good kind of structure to your copy and understanding the purpose of it and not just using it for the sake of it is one thing but then there are other things to do with copy that also kill conversion rate um, such as uh, I would say when you're at the say the conversion point and mm. there's small print right. and then suddenly you read it and it tells you that you're actually giving all your data to all these marketing companies um, once you've submitted that you want to go through yeah and I have said no I'm not going to buy yeah. this now so the best the best uh, copy in those instances where they have terms and conditions is just really short and straightforward you know where they just explain their privacy policy in a single sentence or you know we never give away your data that's it that's really reassuring yeah. if you see the opposite of that where there's asterisks and caveats and long lists of fine print it just makes you feel like you might be in a dodgy neighborhood, I guess. You know. Do you know what the people do that realize is that they'll give you, say Apple, for instance, they give you loads of T's and C's. You mm. just you just don't, can't be bothered to read them. So, so you, you just, just click, click agree. that you've done it, right? And then you don't actually know that you've signed all your data away to numerous companies. It depends how much you want the thing, mm. and so yeah, iTunes are always changing their T's and C's, and you just click agree because you just want to have the software, you know, and yeah. you don't care. But if you're if you're buying something as a one-off purchase from a provider that you don't necessarily know and trust, and they have a huge set of fine print, then that immediately is kind of a warning sign. It is, yeah. And the other the other thing with with those conversion points is sometimes you see a lot of forms that have that give these really long paragraphs of instructions on how to fill the form out. Right. And if you've got that on your site, it's probably a good point, good time to sort of cut that down and maybe make your form a bit intu more intuitive right if you're having to write lots of prose about why or how to use your form yeah then actually you should just fix your form rather yeah. than write well, it's that. you also see it on really simple ones like a newsletter sign up it's like uh, get all the latest stuff delivered straight to your inbox and and you know sign up for all the latest news and do this and that and that and that and then it's just one field for your email address and it's like most i think most people understand that it's a newsletter yeah, yeah it's you know. a very straightforward concept so it's generally less is more when it comes to copy. Um, copy, copy does have the power to make you feel like, yeah, like you're in a dodgy, on dodgy territory or not. The other thing that I wanted to mention quickly before we finish is typos as well, because typos, such a pet peeve of mine. But it apostrophes, just, bad use of apostrophes. Just any any spelling mistake just immediately makes your website look amateurish and it makes people feel like they're not necessarily as comfortable handing over their credit card details because you can't even spell. It's just very simple, 
but it changes the perception of your website entirely. So that would be my, for copy, my number one would be before anything else, just make sure everything is spelled correctly. It's just inexcusable. Is that your rating number 10? That's my 11 or, or 12. <laughs> yeah, I give that a firm 11. The other thing, um, the, the other final point I make about copy is um, don't try and use too many big words. Um, not everyone is, you know, super well educated or, you know, the, what they say um, with writing web copy is to keep it. The, the, the systems for writing copy are very sort of American geared. So they often say like write to an eighth grade level, mm. um, which I guess would be the equivalent of something like a 15 year old, a 16 year old level of high school achievement. Yes. Um, and... Uh, you know, if a lot of a lot of websites use really big words or you know marketees as they like to call it, um, and a, a lot of the time it makes your text hard to understand and yeah. difficult to, to kind of process. So if you just write in a kind of a conversational tone, that even works for people with a high IQ as well. Exactly. People think that if you're writing really clever, kind of lengthy, flowery prose, that you're appealing to a certain type of audience. But they did a test on this, and writing simply and um, in a kind of human tone. Um, works for everybody. It doesn't matter how clever you are. Everyone prefers to read writing that is down to earth and simple. Yeah. That no, not only works for users, but also for the Google bots when they're searching yes. your websites. Yeah. Because if it's not in plain English yeah. that they can understand, they're not going right. to... So when someone's searching in the keywords, they're not going to be able to match those. And all the phrases that you use should be phrases that people commonly use because that's how they search. So that's, you know, that's what they'll be typing into Google. Yeah. So if you're writing kind of strange abstract sentences... Not no, one will understand. no one will understand. Very important for B2B sites, that point. Great. So, guys, we've covered an awful lot of ground in half an hour. Thank you for your, um, your help and expertise. Um, maybe we'll be back to cover some more because we wrote 16 and we've only done four today. So, um, yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Phil. And thank you, Pierre. Cheers. Thanks, listeners, for listening. Uh, and we'll catch you again next time.